G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation and we come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. Today, we talk to Melissa Donnelly from the CPSU, the Community and Public Sector Union, about the shock announcement by the Federal Liberal National Party government to cut the number of federal departments from 18 to 14. But first, some union news. Important robo-debt win in federal court. In a landmark challenge to the federal government's automated robo-debt program, Diana Amado has forced the government's services minister, Stuart Roberts, to dismantle a central plank of the program by abandoning sole reliance on income averaging to calculate debts. The court found that the debt of $2,900 was invalid since the calculation based on Australian tax office income data averaged across fortnightly periods as if this were Amado's actual income in each period was not a reasonable supposition. In the circumstances, there was no material before the decision-maker capable of supporting the conclusion that a debt had arisen. The conclusion that a debt had arisen was therefore irrational in the requisite legal sense, said the court. The court ordered the Commonwealth to pay Amado's costs and $92 interest. The Prime Minister has enlisted celebrity Scott Cam from the bloc as Australia's first National Careers Ambassador at an over $5,000 a day tab to encourage more young people to become apprentices. In a strange twist, a new report reveals that the Morrison government cut $325 million in funding from TAFE budgets last year. The report, released by the National Centre for Vocational Education, showed that the latest report card for the Morrison government in relation to federal funding to the sector. The report card shows that uh, 140,000 fewer apprentices now than when it was elected and a cut of $3 billion from vocational education funding. Morrison's government has slashed $3.9 billion from the Education Investment Fund in October 2019, money intended to be invested in desperately needed infrastructure improvements in the TAFE and higher education sector. The government failed to spend nearly $1 billion budgeted for a series of TAFE apprenticeship skills and training initiatives between 2014 to 15 and 2018 and 19. Queensland Health Maintenance staff rallied in Brisbane on December the 4th. Workers from combined unions representing Queensland Health Maintenance staff began industrial action to prevent the continued undermining of this critical part of Queensland's public hospital sector. Union members will be rallying across the state to let 
Queensland Health and the state government know they have had enough of sham contracts, attacks on their job security and broken promises on apprentice numbers, said Peter Yong, the ETU Queensland Northern Territory State Secretary. These men and women, who are the electricians, the carpenters, the plumbers and the boiler makers, are vital to the running of our health service. They provide safe environments for patients and staff. The action included paperwork and administration work bans and rolling stoppages beginning with a 24-hour walk-off during which only emergency maintenance work will be carried out. As with any and all industrial action, the members have not taken this lightly and it is through pure frustration at Q Health's refusal to fix the ongoing issues associated with reduced job security, sham contracting and broken promises on apprentices our members feel they are not being listened to, he said. Q Health may care about the doctors, nurses and radiologists, we all do, but its latest offer to our members who keep our hospitals and health services safe and operating efficiently in often stressful circumstances is a kick in the guts and miles away from a fair go, Mr Ong said. Our message is clear, end the sham contract shame, employ Queensland apprentices in accordance with your promises and get rid of the shonky contractors who are eroding job security, costing taxpayers billions and putting patients at risk. Wage theft in the food industries continue but workers are fighting back. Della Rosa, one of Australia's largest supermarket pizza manufacturers, is accused of systematically underpaying vulnerable migrant workers in a case lodged in the federal court on December the 4th. United Workers' Union will pursue Melbourne pizza manufacturer Della Rosa for chronic underpayments in the vicinity of $1 million and for the compensation for breaching the workplace rights of predominantly Indian and Afghani workers. United Workers' Union, the Union for Food Manufacturing Workers, alleges that 21 former workers were paid a flat rate by Della Rosa and denied overtime payments, shift loading and public holiday rates. The pizzas made by these workers are supplied to Coles, Woolworths and IGA stores across Australia. Susie Allison, United Workers' Union Director of Food and Beverage, says... Today, Della Rosa will answer to their workers who have had almost $1 million stolen from them. Workers in the factory were paid a flat rate even if they were working a 12-hour overnight shift. Some of our members are owed up to the vicinity of $60,000 or more. Alongside the systematic underpayment of legal minimums uncovered in this case, the workers also allege that they have been subjected to racism and harassment. Grilled, the Australian burger chain, has hit the news again, accused of using government-subsidised traineeships to keep its young workers on low wages, despite nearly all the employees saying the training is not worthwhile. The Young Workers Centre, housed at Melbourne Trades Hall, said the traineeships, which are legal under the company's enterprise agreement, could drink on for years. Worker Patrick Stevenson, who said he had been a grilled employee for nearly two years, said he had been paid a pitiful wage while on a hospitality traineeship through one of the chain's Melbourne outlets. I haven't progressed through the traineeship 
as much as I've tried to, he said. To me, after the two years and after the progress that I've made, it became clear to me that Grilled was just keeping me on the traineeship so that they didn't have to pay me the minimum average award wage. Under the company's 2015 enterprise agreement, a full-time or part-time employee aged 21 or over is paid $21.75 per hour. However, the United Workers' Union, Young Workers' Centre and Grilled Employees alleged many of the workers were pressured into signing on to traineeships that cut their rate of pay by more than $3 per hour. A school leaver on a hospitality traineeship would be paid $14.50 per hour, a rate that is bumped up to $18.50 for those on traineeships who have been out of school for three or more years. The Young Workers Centre director, Felicity Sowerbutz, said the traineeships were designed to keep young workers in low pay. The 2015 agreement comes to an end later this month. A spokeswoman for the Fair Work Ombudsman confirmed the watchdog was conducting inquiries in relation to Grilled. Any workers with concerns should contact us directly, the spokesperson said. Still on wage theft, a class action lawsuit against Woolworths over underpayment of workers has begun in the federal court with claims the case will expose industry-wide problems. Former night manager Cameron Baker is leading the action on behalf of thousands of past and present Woolworths workers. Adiro Law, which is representing Mr Baker, estimates the underpayment bill at $620 million. Woolworths admitted last month it had underpaid nearly 6,000 staff as much as $300 million since 2010 after a review of its latest enterprise agreement. The frightening, damaging, widespread New South Wales bushfires have brought out the best and worst in people. It appears that some employers are making volunteer firefighters take holiday leave to fight the fires. And for those on Centrelink, the eroded social service net in Australia is made more apparent. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union put out this sobering statement. While Sydney siders wring their hands about having the worst air quality in the world and make every headline about themselves, people out in regional and rural New South Wales are still being driven from their homes. Out in regional New South Wales, where unemployment in some places is five times higher than the national average, people are trying to make evacuation plans without a working car because they can't afford to get the clutch fixed. People out there aren't trying to stay home from their jobs in the city because of the smog. They're calling up their employment service providers to say, I can't come in today. The fire came within 20 kilometres of my house last night and I have to watch for embers. Please don't cut me off my payments. These are the unprecedentedly extreme climate conditions that the experts have been trying to warn us about for so many years. And as we have also said for so many years, who suffers first, the most terribly when disaster strikes? The poor, the sick and the disabled, the seniors and elderly and of course the children. While our safety net is so weak, while Newstart is so low and while unemployment is allowed to be so high, the most disadvantaged Australians will be left facing down an apocalypse with F all back up from their own government. 
You're listening to Stick Together, Workers' Stories, Union News, Social Justice Issues. On December the 5th, the Federal Liberal National Government reduced the amount of public service departments from 18 to 14. The Department of Communications and the Arts was thrown into what is being called a super department with infrastructure, transport and regional development. As one artist I know said, it is like Australia losing its soul. Our fearless leader, Daggy Dad Morrison, is quoted as saying, I expect, frankly, all department secretaries to be realising maximum efficiencies for how they run their departments every single day of the year. That's their job, as he gets tough on those PS slackers. But as it has been pointed out, actually, the public service job is to deliver essential services to the community. We spoke to Melissa Donnelly, National Secretary of the CPSU, the Community and Public Sector Union, for an insight into what this means for her members and for us, the long-suffering public, who rely on the public service for functional, essential services. Fairly shocking to hear that the uh, Prime Minister has decided that uh, there should be 14 rather than 18 departments overnight. A great Christmas present for Australia. But uh, how is that affecting your members? Well, there are lots of CPSU members working in the federal public sector now um, who uh, face uncertainty in their workplace in terms of exactly uh, where they'll be working for whom and on what. Uh, this decision by the Prime Minister has, um, uh, as you said, um, been dropped um, overnight, including on some of the secretaries who are now departing. And uh, in making this decision, the Prime Minister hasn't actually dealt with any of the real problems that are affecting the public sector and their their problems um, in, in terms of service delivery to the community. Yeah, it's fairly extraordinary. Uh Now, there's a whole lot of things that we can talk about here. Sometimes you think maybe the secretaries that have been lopped off are the ones that have said that there's some problems with service delivery, perhaps. Well, there's always um, speculation um, when senior bureaucrats like secretaries um, depart, particularly in this fashion. It's it's clear from uh, at least one of the secretaries in their communication to all staff that uh, he was only advised at four o'clock the preceding day. So this hasn't been a um, a change that has been widely consulted in the public sector, it would seem. It would seem this has come straight from the Prime Minister and been dropped both on senior bureaucrats and public sector workers. Now, there has been a report which the government has been sitting on into the Australian Public Service, but they haven't released it because... Why do you think yeah. that's the case? Well, they, there is the SODI report that the government has been sitting on. Um, that We understand that that has been with government since um, uh, September. Um, it, it's difficult to know why they haven't released that, given the size of uh, changes, the, the scale of the changes that they announced last week. Uh, we think it's time for the government um, to... Release, this, release the report to the public, release the report to the workers who are affected by the decisions they're making, uh, because at the moment they seem to be, um, it seems to be sitting in a cabinet um, in Parliament House somewhere and, and has not been released either to the workforce or to the community who relies on the public sector every day. But what we know of that report, what we know of the considerations that were in um, earlier discussion papers um, 
that uh, the committee, the led by David Zodi, um, released was that there was no recommendations around super departments. So we're concerned that the government has made significant decisions um, and uh, it's out of step with some of the recommendations that we're expecting from the Sodi report. Now, there is a super uh, department already, which is the Homeland... Home Home Affairs. Home Affairs. (laughs) Getting a bit confused with the Americanism (laughs) of it all, isn't it? Uh, And uh, it's had uh, a lot of troubles. Absolutely. So there is, as you said, a a super department that the government has already created with the Department of Home Affairs, and that that is a department that has been riddled with issues. Uh, For the workforce, uh, that department continues to have very low results in terms of employee satisfaction and employee engagement. In terms of some of their basic functions, they still continue to be plagued by problems. Um, Things as simple as paying people properly um, has been a a source of um, difficulty in that department and and absolutely a source of frustration for employees. So there are examples, there is that example of the um, home affairs and it's not a happy one. So why they are now using this as a blueprint for further public sector change um, raises more questions than it answers. Now, before we go from the workers' side of the uh, counter to what it means for ordinary Australians who rely on the services that the public service put forward, there's another element to the way this government's been operating. Since 2013, it's lopped 11.4% off the employment of public servants, and that that translates to 18,908 people. And it has gone holus bolus into using consultants and also using uh, public-private partnerships. Uh, Is is this cost-effective? Absolutely not. Um, The government has, as you said, cut nearly 19,000 jobs since the coalition came to office in 2013. That's having a very real impact um, on the community. There are 48 million unanswered calls in the last financial year to Centrelink, for example. Um, The use of contractors, the use of consultants and labour hire employees is not cost effective. Uh, In many of these cases, the government actually ends up paying more. And what's driving the use of these arrangements is after all those job cuts, the government is managing its, its workforce using a staffing cap. So agencies are not allowed to employ the people they need to get the job done, even when they have a budget. Um, even when they have budget space for that. So instead of employing uh, public sector workers to get the job done, uh, we are increasingly seeing contractors, consultants and labour hire doing the same work as the public sector, uh, but at a greater cost to government. And many of those individuals, workers who are involved in that as well, they don't get the, um, they don't get the premium pay. Um, there are labour hire firms who get to click their ticket on all of these arrangements and and charging the government a premium, and it's having implications as well for the community in terms of the services they receive. So it's costing more money, but it's also hollowing out the public service skill base. Absolutely. So an example that many of your listeners uh, may well be aware of is is robo-debt. So what we have seen in DHS, in the compliance area um, that deals with those kind of issues, when the government decided to introduce robo-debt, they 
took the experienced compliance workers out of that space and got them working on something else. Uh, they have now brought in labour hire workers to deal with that. And as we all know, labor, the issues around robo-debt are very significant and they require a lot of work now to be fixed up. Uh, but there aren't public sector workers um, in, in any of the number that they need to actually deal with those problems. It is an area that has significant labour hire workers um, within the department, which means there's higher turnover, uh, less expertise, less corporate knowledge, and really what we need in areas like that, particularly after the problems of robo-debt, is more and more um, investment in public sector capacity and public sector workforce. And it's interesting, isn't it, because if we do go to the other side of the counter where I am, there is a bit of a service crisis, isn't there? Absolutely. So there were 48 million unanswered calls to Centrelink in the financial year 2017-2018 and a further 8.3 million callers hung up uh, and were unable to get through. Um, So they're extraordinary numbers when you think about the size of our population. 48 million unanswered calls and a further 8 million uh, where the call was rejected. There is a service crisis in a whole range of areas of the public sector. Uh, People are waiting longer for their pension to be processed. People are waiting longer for payments. People are waiting longer to be able to talk to an experienced public sector worker in in Centrelink or Medicare. And people in our community who rely on these services, whether it's in the courts, through the tax office, through Centrelink and DHS, people are seeing it in all sorts of ways. And it is, it is a travesty that the, this government has cut 19,000 jobs, re- refusing to employ the public servants that are required to get the job done, and it's the community that suffers. When people uh, think about the public service, because it sets the tone of a country, doesn't it, really, uh, the public service, and the concept of public service is really important. Um, examples, people forget how many things are essential services, like the family court, so family court delays and uh, what the uh, CSIRO actually does. Uh, a whole range of things are under threat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are some obvious service delivery areas um, like DHS, like um, Medicare, like the tax office like the courts, that people uh, in the community can see and feel the, the interaction. But there's a whole range of other really important work that the public sector does, from public sector science and the work of CSIRO, which as we um, you know, sit in Australia today and there are bushfires raging around the country and climate change impacts uh, continue to be a, a serious um, issue for our country. When you think about the kinds of um, environmental policy that the public sector works works on, there is countless ways um, that the public sector has an influence on people's life. Another another topical example is aged care, where there is responsibility in the federal government for aged care regulation um, and the you know uh, maintain, maintaining standards around that. And we've seen through the Royal Commission how important those things are. And sometimes I think. Um, the government can take it for granted that people people won't notice um, if there's cuts. But people do notice because pe- people in our community rely on the public sector every day. So it's in a funny kind of a way, it wouldn't be uh, too big a stretch to say that uh, you'd be waving goodbye to your way of life if uh, this continues. There are so many ways where the public sector sets standards for uh, the way we live in Australia. And without a strong and effective public sector, 
one that government invests in and respects. Um, we, we do uh, risk giving up so many of those core values and standards that are important. Yeah, well, there's a big fight on, isn't there? And uh, I must say that the idea of the Department of Communication and the Arts being fused with uh, infrastructure, transport and regional development kind of says everything, really, doesn't it? That's right, and that's one of the announcements that's got um, a fair degree of attention, um, both in the media and in the community. And there are risks in the kind of super departments that the government has created that particular areas of policy responsibility can get lost in the mix in a very big department. And, you know, communication and the arts uh, are another area that the government, the federal government and the federal public sector have a really important role to play. And uh, we're not seeing much respectfuller uh, that from this government. So what's your uh, union uh, intending to do? I know that you're obviously discussing the issues that are involved, but this has got real-world effects for your members. Yeah, that's right. And and the kind of cuts and the staffing cap that we've seen from this government for some time um, has been having real-world effects um, for our members for a couple of years now. So uh, we're calling on the government uh, to restore the job cuts that have occurred and to remove the staffing cap so enough public, public sector workers can be employed to get the job done. We'll be talking to our members and to public sector workers about how we continue to make the case in the community um, because the community believes in the public sector. The community, when, when we talk to the community about the important work the public sector does, uh, the community believes in, in that and respects it. So we will be continuing that campaign and there are, there are lots of ways for people to get involved and show their support um, for the public sector. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. That's it for Stick Together this week. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and on iTunes. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 94198377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And until next time, stick together. <laughs>